DSU Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado. You're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Nate Simmons and Ross Martin. Hey, what's up everybody out there on the interwebs? You're joining us for the Colorado Sports Guys podcast episode number 98 with me as always in the hipster glasses ross martin good morning good evening good afternoon everybody and of course from denverstiffs.com we got jeff morton from thornton in the house hello mort from thornton morton from thornton <laughs> morton from thornton uh, you know i i uh, jason kosmiski told me he's from thornton too so i guess i'm not uh i'm not all alone up there in the north all the good voices come from Thornton, it sounds and like. And Todd Helton. And Todd Helton, yes. Todd, yeah, driving through. <laughs> Look out. Look out, Look out everybody. We saw him, uh, saw him in spring training. Helton from Thornton's going through. <laughs> saw him in spring training, and he didn't play, so I'm guessing he was probably too hungover. Or maybe he was drunk. Just a little bit, you know, just to keep his balance, that's all. Yeah, but we got lots of good stuff today. We're going to be talking, of course, about the Denver Nuggets, about, uh, you know, their nice little nine game win streak they're on. They got two huge games this week. The New York Knicks are coming to town. The Memphis Grizzlies are coming to town. That would be a nice 10th win, wouldn't it? Yep. Wouldn't that be a nice little 10th win? What, uh, against Mello? Mm-hmm. Yeah. J.R. Smith. Kenyon Martin. Kenyon Martin. Huh? Marcus right. Camby. Ray Felton. Mm-hmm. A lot of former Nuggets on that squad. Nuggets tried it here with those guys. Didn't quite <laughs> and work they're out. Probably, and they're probably thinking, you know what? It would be so nice to beat the Nuggets and that, that bastard Costa Kufus or Timothy Mozgov or whoever we got in that trade. <laughs> yeah. Give Danilo Gallinari some payback. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's my town, Danilo. <laughs> that was my town before it was yours, you Italian bastard. Well, uh, uh, Hawkman tweeted out some photos of Mello being interviewed at uh, practice today. And, uh, it was eerie. It was just eerie. I, I didn't, it didn't hit me until I saw that pic photo and I'm like, Mello used to be here. You know, you did, it just doesn't dawn on you until the person's actually back in the town. And this is the first time. First time. That was unbelievable to me that I heard that. Two years? Is it been, it's been two years. Yeah. Over two years since yeah. that trade, right? Yep. Yeah. And he's just now coming back to Denver. Last season, the lockout cut out that Knicks game, so we didn't get a chance here in Denver. So we'll have to we'll have to talk about that a little later. So we'll it was talk the about lockout. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about what that means. Uh, his return, how maybe fans should react to it, how we might react to it. We'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, we got a little guest that's going to be joining us here in just a couple of minutes. Former NBA official Tim Donaghy going to be calling into the show to talk with us about uh, a variety of topics, including what he's up to now and you know his time during the NBA. He spent 13 seasons in the league from 1994 to 2007. He's now uh, associated with com, an online source for handicapping pro and college sports games. That should be interesting. Tim Donaghy. Uh, what would you say? He was dishonorably discharged from the uh, NBA? <laughs> he did resign from the NBA, uh, probably he, forced out, I would he, say. He may or may not have been forced out. We're not sure. We're going to clear up this whole story. Is it may or may not? <laughs> may or may not have spent some time in prison related to his well, time on the court. It's interesting. There is a whole video dedicated to his comments and his affidavit statement. There's a whole video called the 
greatest tragedy in sports. And it's done by this uh, Sacramento Kings fan talking about the 2002 Western Conference Finals. And there's all this really dramatic music with it. And it's really edited to make it sound like, you know, there's this, the, the, the right hand of Stern is just in there grabbing, you know, influence every, influencing everything. It's a well, you know, it's well done over the top and stuff like that. But that was all put together directly because of Tim Donaghy's uh, affidavit statements, which is, I mean, if you can start a whole YouTube thing from it. <laughs> Jeff's talking about uh, in 2002, the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings had, Kings had a game six in Sacramento where the Lakers shot 18 more free throws during the fourth quarter than the Kings. Just the fourth quarter. 18 more. So a lot of people like to point at that game uh, as as saying the fix was on. And in that that playoffs, there had not been – correct me if I'm wrong. There hadn't been a single – Seven game series, except for that final. I think that was probably about right. Actually, not a single seven game, game seven. series, and then that one, the finals, went to seven games. I think that's correct. But there's a lot of shady stuff going on, and it was interesting because Tim Donaghy gets tr- in trouble, right? Gets targeted by the FBI for whatever. He got sold out by a mafia guy. What's interesting is that he became this. Pariah from the NBA, David Stern and company wanted to get him out, but then they were very quickly, <laughs> like they were like they wanted to make sure that he was uh, being accused of all this nefarious stuff. But then they all agreed, FBI, David Stern and Tim Donaghy, that he didn't affect the games. Right? Yeah. They said he didn't actually affect the games with his gambling. He just bet based on his knowledge of the game because they didn't want to invalidate some 700 games that he had reft, right? I mean, that could be a huge problem for the NBA. And that's interesting to me how David Stern can be like, yeah, he was bad, but he wasn't that bad. You know, he's like simultaneously the the enemy and also the friend because he has to go along with what David Stern asked and what the FBI wanted. Well, that's interesting because David Stern is a master at doing that. I mean, he he's a master at manipulating people to think the way he wants them to. I mean, he was a lawyer before he he was the NBA's lawyer before he became the commissioner. So, I mean, it's it's an amazing ability that David Stern has to take a situation that was awful for the NBA. That could have sunk the league. People said people predicted it. that. People yeah. predicted that what the Tim Donaghy uh affair mm-hmm. <laughs> had at, would absolutely lead to the destruction of NBA as we know it. And what's interesting is not unlike the performance-enhancing uh, debacle of the late 90s in Major League Baseball, but it's all been better. It's all increased in popularity. Sounds like him here, guys. Let's uh, let's get on the phone. Hey, is this Tim? Yes, sir. Sorry, a couple minutes late. I wrote down the wrong number and I had to go back into my email. Hey, no problem. You're uh, you're on with us here. Um, Nate Timmons, we got Ross Martin here, and is, uh, Jeff Morton as well. Okay, great. Great. And, uh, all right, guys, we're joined now with Tim Donaghy, former NBA official. He was in the NBA for 13 seasons from 1994 to 2007. He's now associated with refpicks.com. Again, that's an online source for handicapping pro games and college sports games. How you doing today, Tim? I'm doing terrific, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, Tim, uh, I'm, this is Jeff Morton. You and I have been conversing uh, via email. Um, it's nice to, very nice to have you on. I appreciate it, and I know uh, Ross and Nate do. 
Um, we, I want to kind of start off with a with a question. What have you been up to as far as before you got into ref refpicks.com? Uh, how have you adjusted to life outside of the NBA? Um, anything other than, you know, anything you want to tell us as far as that goes with how you are doing right now? Yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, uh, it's well publicized. I have four daughters, which uh, keeps me extremely busy. Uh, mm-hmm. They're very uh, involved in, uh, you know, school fun- functions and athletics. So, uh, you know, they keep me real busy. I'm, uh, you know, working with a friend of mine in, in the real estate business who uh, buys and fixes up and sells houses. And uh, reppicks.com is uh, starting to really pick up, and that keeps me extremely busy at the present time. Oh, that's great. Um, I want to I want to kind of ask you this, uh, starting into to the NBA, if you're able to talk about this. Um, that we were uh, Nate and I were discussing this a couple weeks ago. We and the Nuggets played a game. The Denver Nuggets played a game against the Los Angeles Lakers about two weeks ago, I believe. And there seemed to be like a, an official who was influenced by the crowd and George Carl. It was this interesting dichotomy where. It seemed like the more that they got on him, the more he kind of like was got defensive and made calls opposite that. Was that something that you saw as an NBA ref? This kind of like this defensive, like this posture, like you know, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm right, and they would go the opposite direction. If you understand what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely, no doubt about it. And in fact, I can think back to uh, myself and Jerry Sloan. Uh, being in a very similar situation because uh, it's almost like, uh, you, you know, you're questioning my authority out there. And, uh, you know, back when I was officiating, it was well known that if somebody rode you a little bit, uh, you know, there was one or two ways you could have went. The weaker referees bowed down to the coaches and the fans and some of the stronger referees kind of stuck it to them and, and uh, you know, really rubbed their nose in it. So uh, with that, uh, you know, after uh, – you know, certain situations, the the coach kind of lays off the referee, knowing that if he bitches and complains at him, it's kind of going to affect him and his team. So, uh, you know, that's how some of the stronger officials uh, with legal situations like that. What about the opposite? What if you? What if the coach is really kissing the ref's ass? Does he get preferential treatment? Um, you know, it, it all depends on you know whether you're a stronger referee, like I said, or a weaker referee. And some of the weaker referees you know, let that affect them and, and bow down to these coaches and start to give them calls. And George Carl is a, uh, is a, is a great coach. He's a strong minded coach and he goes after referees, but George Carl's smart. He knows what referees to go after and what referees not to go after. That's kind of a good question there with George. You know, we, there's a lot of people at right in town and fans kind of point at him and say, you know, we wish that he would, get on the refs more and maybe try to, you know, stick up for his players a bit more. And you kind of brought it up there of, you know, picking out certain refs that you can do that. Is it better for a coach to pick his spots with referees and to know which referees he can pick his spots with? Oh, definitely. I mean, George Carl is definitely a veteran referee. And, and early in his career, he was on referees constantly. But I think he's uh, kind of smartened up to the, to the extent where he knows when to pick and choose his battles. He knows when it's going to certainly help his team and when it could potentially affect his team. So, uh, you know, George Carl, he's a, he's a veteran guy. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA at this point, and, and I'm sure he knows when to uh, step up and go after a referee and when to kind of back off a little bit. 
How about uh, how about the influence of crowds? About you know home crowds and and the referees. What's that relationship like, and what can that does that affect referees when they're in front of a, a very uh, loud home crowd, like perhaps Utah or even Denver or whomever? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, just like uh, when coaches go after referees, some some referees will let that home crowd affect them, and some won't. And uh, you know the bottom line is. Uh, you know, not to push what I'm doing now, but with restpicks.com, uh, I certainly take that into consideration when I look at who's refereeing the games and where are the game's at and, and how that official is going to react to a home crowd if they jump all over them. And if you get, you know, two weak referees on a game with one strong referee, you know that that advantage is most likely going to be towards that home team uh, if it comes crunch time in the fourth quarter and, and the crowd's really into it. This is gonna. This I I got a kind of a question around that. Around that, it's kind of. I noticed with Phil Jackson when he was coaching, he wouldn't directly go after a ref. Sometimes either he would go after him a little, argue, but he would let basically live and let live. But then he would go to the media afterwards and then try to influence media perception. Was there was there kind of like this? Especially in Phil Jackson coast games, I don't know if you ever had a had a uh, experience in this way, where it's like there's pressure that he was exerting outside that would come definitely to you from other elements after he made some sort of public statement to the to like uh, uh, complaining about refereeing. You know, no doubt about it. I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. He would plant. Uh, little seeds in the newspaper. He would plant little seeds in the minds of people within the NBA office because he knew, uh, especially during playoff time, that there were meetings that took place with league officials and NBA referees over what was going to be called on any given night. And uh, if he felt that he was getting screwed or his players were getting screwed, and of course he had to have the film to back it up because uh, basically, he has to have proof, and if he wanted that to change in a, in a given night, he knew to put it into the newspaper or put it into the ears of these officials, and that would basically be shown to them uh, in meetings during the day prior to the next game, and that whatever instance he was discussing uh, would be brought to the officials' attention, and the boss would go his way. Can you give us a little a uh, little bit of what it what it was like being in those officials meetings, you know, with the league and with officials after something like that? What what's kind of what, what would that be like? I mean, the bottom line is is that a lot of times uh, we as officials would leave uh, those meetings shaking our heads saying, you know, basically the league wanted uh, a certain team to win that night because, you know, they would plant the seeds in the officials' heads and tell you what was missed and what needed to be called. And at times it would certainly be a situation where t- one team or another was put at a major advantage or disadvantage. And, Unfortunately for me, I took that information and passed it along to uh, friends of mine, and, and they were betting, uh, you know, on the games and, and profiting uh, rather handsomely in regard to, uh, you know, their wagers. And then uh, I was kind of also wanted to ask you too about how during your time uh, as an NBA official, how were playoff officials determined? Because we, you know, it doesn't seem like not every ref officiates in the playoffs, correct? And it's just a, a certain set number of guys. Yeah, there was definitely, uh, you know, uh, a certain percentage of referees that made the playoffs, and it was supposed to be based on merit, but, uh, you know, it really has a lot to uh, go into it based on years of experience, based on ratings from coaches and GMs and uh, league observers. So 
I usually took about seven or eight years to get into the playoffs, and the more experience you had, uh, the more you advanced up into the second, third round. I, I was going to ask, as far as various outside influences, I would say that another element that I've noticed is certain players, the way they talk to an official seems to, if they're more diff- if they're more diplomatic, they seem to, to benefit more from that. If they are like, say like, are an old player that used to play for the Nuggets, uh, Nene, he used to whine quite a bit about calls and it seemed like he never benefited from doing that. Is the, is the diplomatic and going to an official and, and uh, explaining your point of view on a certain uh, thing, does that affect an official positively with calls for the rest of the night? You know, no doubt about it. Nobody, whether you're uh, refereeing an NBA game or you're out in the public uh, doing something else, nobody likes to be embarrassed. And the bottom line is if, uh, you know, you embarrass a referee, you know, that's really not going to help you in trying to benefit of, uh, you know, a call that you're looking for. So absolutely, if you go at a referee in a more professional way and plead your case, uh, you know, not in the view of uh, trying to get the fans to come down on the referee, it's going to work much better than trying to embarrass the referee by getting a technical foul or bringing the home crowd down on them. So uh, certainly the way you go about it is, is definitely can be beneficial for you. Is that a problem? I mean, I mean, from the standpoint of a fan, is it a problem that these are factors at all? And why isn't it just call it as it's, call it as it's been seen? Call it as it's happened. Uh, do you see that as a problem as far as competition goes? That that there are so many different you know external and you know elements to this outside of just the way the game is played. Absolutely. I mean, what they do in the NBA is uh, they referee the names on the back and the front of the jersey rather than uh, the violations and fouls that take place. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is it's really not a true athletic competition uh, like it is in college. It's a total different game the way it's refereed and officiated in college versus the NBA, but the rules are, are fairly similar. So, you know, once you start bringing personalities uh, into the forefront uh, and, and not, like you said, the fouls and violations as they exist, it becomes a problem, and I think that's why you have a lot of fans uh, in the NBA that don't believe that it's a true athletic competition. You know, I, I, I've always been fascinated in the NBA, specifically since David Stern uh, became um, commissioner of the the quote unquote star treatment. And did you did you feel that as a referee? Did you feel the like? Don't give Kobe Bryant his sixth foul. Um, if Shaq bowls someone over and it really is clearly an offensive foul, don't do it because he's, you know, already got five. Is there, was there that element that of pressure that would be put on you or kind of implied pressure of any ref to say, don't do that. They, they are not, they're the star and we need them in the game. Oh, absolutely. And I write about that at length in my book, Personal Foul that, uh, you know, there's star treatment in the NBA. And, uh, you know, I can tell you, um, as you guys being Denver Nuggets fans, uh, you know, Denver really doesn't have that marquee star player that's going to, uh, you know, get those calls in a big-time playoff game uh, that they would need. I mean, Carmelo Anthony was certainly that type of player, but he's gone now. And the teams that have that type of player 
Uh, you know, our teams are going to really benefit come playoff time if they're in a sixth or seventh game. You know, you talk about Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, those type of players are going to get those calls at the end of the game. And is there a, you know, with the Nuggets, I mean, can that be overcome? Can can the officiating be overcome by a team? Like, is there a way to make that where it wouldn't even matter if the refs are, you know, supposedly against them or not? I mean... Sure, it, it can be overcome when you're a team like the San Antonio Spurs and you're just that much talented and that much more better coached than the other team. That's how you overcome it. But if not, it, it's very difficult to overcome. So how would – now, I, I'm very – and I think I agree with kind of what you're saying, and I've seen that just as a fan, that there does seem to be – I mean, there's definitely superstar, um, you know, superstars are being benefited. They, you know, as you put it, they, they referee the names on the front and the back of the jersey. But if I am uh, in the NBA uh, executive structure, like a David Stern or maybe a, an owner of a team, and, and I heard you talking about that, I would say, well, that's just sour grapes, and he's pushing his, his website. Yeah, you know, how would you respond to that? If somebody were to say that, and again, I, I tend to agree with you on it, but how would you respond to that type of uh, somebody saying, hey, you know what, he, he, he's just sour grapes? Uh, I would tell you right now that in my book I discuss this at length, and I'm not here trying to push my book or my website. I mean, this was well before any of this stuff came out, uh, and uh, you know, it was obvious that I was a cooperating witness for the government against the culture of fraud that existed in the NBA and organized crime, and uh, Bill Scala wrote the forward for my book, and he said that I wrote uh, uh, about the truth, and I discussed the truth with him at all turns. So, I mean, when you talk about a 25-year supervisory special agent doing an investigation and uh, supposedly informing the NBA that they need to make major changes, I think it's something to speak for itself. And those changes didn't seem to happen. And the uh, uh, controversy that you were involved in ought to have expose some of these things and it seems like it's had the opposite effect like the nba is more popular than ever is which is really fascinating to me personally right i mean more people are watching the nba than ever and uh so maybe the nba and the way they're maybe they're fixing games or maybe it's not that you know outrageous of, I, you know but I don't, like, I don't like to use the term fixing but I, they definitely put uh Teams at an advantage, uh, bigger market teams, special in certain situations. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, everyone's watching the NBA because they have the greatest athletes in the world, uh, you know, running up and down the court. You two gentlemen are, are doing a podcast generally associated with what goes on in the NBA. They have a lot of fans. They have a lot of interest, and it, it's, a, it's a great, great sport. Is there something that uh, Nuggets fans, fans like us, that we could watch for maybe it, within the game, maybe some subtle nuances that might tip us off, that there's some sort of favoritism going on? You know, no doubt about it. You look at uh, Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, uh, LeBron James. Look at the hand checks that are called when they have the ball, and then you look at hand checks that may be called uh, when Andre Iguodala goes to the hall. 
you know, you're going to see the same contact that he's going to try and fight through, that he's not going to get that whistle for, but you're going to see that whistle given to those guys because they want them to be able to have that freedom of movement. They want them to be able to put the big points up on the board. They want them to be able to get to the hoop uh, easier. So, you know, there are little things that you can look for, uh, who, who, who gets those calls when it comes to the hand check because the hand check really can be called uh, every play down the open hand into the chest of an individual above the foul line. But, I mean, if you really look at it, it it's done all the time, but it's really not allowed to be done to those star players. Tim, I, I have a quick question about David Stern. He's about to retire um, February of next year. And do you feel, you know, I think, I believe Adam Silver, his deputy, is supposed to take over. Do you feel, even after Stern retires, that there will be a culture change in the NBA? Any sort of positive movement toward what you would imagine to be balanced refereeing? Or do you believe in your heart that it will be business as usual? You know, I believe it's going to be business as usual. Uh, Adam Silver has been underneath the wing of David Stern for a long, long time. Uh, obviously, David Stern has been extremely successful. He's put a lot of money uh, in the, uh, the owners, and he's done a terrific job in regard to marketing uh, the league. And, and um, Adam Silver is, is a student of David Stern, so why would uh, he mess with a, a recipe that has been very, very successful? Because if he decides to make changes and the league starts to tank, that's something – uh, of a legacy that he's going to have to live with forever. So I don't think that you mess with the recipe. I think you 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 keep moving full speed ahead because it's been successful. And Tim, have you had you know? Why do you think there hasn't been more you know former players or former coaches or executives that haven't come out maybe publicly you know against some of this stuff kind of with you or have you have you received people you know that have that have kind of backed you maybe privately as well. I mean, no doubt about it. I think when you talk about Mark Cuban, I think he's not only backed me privately, he but he's backed me publicly. I went to a New York Knicks game about a month ago when they played the Dallas Mavericks and, and sat right next to him. And, you know, he gave me a big hug and he's wishing me nothing but success moving forward. I think that uh, he's been an advocate of uh, uh, everything that I've written and I said for many years. And it, the bottom line is, is – you know, when, you, when you're a fan of uh, some of these teams and, and, and whether it's Denver or Sacramento, you want the same shot at winning a championship that the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers have. And that's all anybody can ask for, especially when you're sitting in the, uh, those seats and spending an enormous amount of money. Uh, you know, the, the playing field should be even for everybody, and I, I think that's all anybody could ask for. So you, you just described there, you said you, you were recently at an NBA game. You have a relationship with Mark Cuban still. What is your relationship like with the NBA now? You know, bottom line is they tried to paint me as one rogue referee and, and the guy that, uh, you know, uh, didn't tell the truth or, or kind of made up some stuff. But when you talk about the FBI being involved and doing an investigation and looking into all these allegations and for the first time in the history of the FBI, an arresting agent writing forward for a, a book of somebody and, and putting in that book that he told the truth at every turn. I think that, again, that speaks volumes for what is written in that book. And uh, I receive emails every day about, uh, you know, how that book is, uh, you know, rings so true and how it helped change 
uh, the way people look in and uh, you know discuss the NBA. That's awesome, uh, Tim. Do you have do you have kind of a, a favorite moment of or maybe a, some of your fond memories of being an official in the NBA, or just kind of a, a funny story or anecdote for us? I mean, I, I can tell you this. Um, there was a lot written about my relationship with Rashid Wallace and how, uh, you know, we squared up in the parking lot to fight one <laughs> night and how it ended. And, uh, you know, I, I can tell you since my departure from the NBA, I've spoken to Rashid several times, and I can tell you that his personality and professionalism uh, is something that kind of shocked me as I spoke to him. I think his, uh, you know, intensity – uh, you know, gets him caught up in the moment when he's on the floor. But I've uh, really never talked to a more professional guy, and uh, he really is a class act off the floor. So you you were you were a ref at the uh, at the the big brawl game, weren't you? Did yes, they... uh, yeah, I definitely. Uh, you know, remember being a referee at the at the brawl at the palace, and it was something where uh, you know everything just got way out of hand, and and uh, you know the fight spilled into the stand. So. Uh, that's definitely a black eye, uh, you know, for everyone involved in the NBA at that time. So, uh, yes, I was definitely there up, up front and close. Oh, I can't even imagine the chaos. I, I watched that on television, and I was thinking I, I, I can't imagine actually being there and seeing the chaos that just, I mean, not ref-induced or anything like that, just how it just got out of control. And there's very little you can do at that moment, is, is can there. It's just like you just – I mean, with, when it spills into the crowd like that, you've got to hope that nature takes its, its course eventually, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you're dealing with uh, big, big, strong, strong individuals. And when you talk about a guy being 5'10", 175 pounds, you're not going to be able to stop those 255-pound uh, uh, athletes from going at each other. So, you know, it's something that, you know, you really just can't control and you got to sit back and hope it ends quickly. And in that case, it, we all know that it didn't. Hey right, Tim, tell us uh, tell us a little bit more about refpicks.com and uh, maybe about your book as well, Personal Foul, a first person account of the scandal that rocked the NBA. Yeah, Personal Foul can be bought on amazon.com and it just basically takes everybody through the story of how I was able to pick the games at 70 to 80% correct uh, from, you know, being a cooperating witness for the for the government and uh, basically going to jail and and trying to survive jail and RefPicks.com is just a website uh, that um, you know guys can utilize and, and purchase picks online for as little as ten or twenty dollars if they uh, you know enjoy gambling as a form of entertainment and uh, you know just to get a little bit of an edge on on what I see and, and things that I speak about in my book that I still see today that will enable them to uh, you know put some wagers on some games and put some extra grocery money in their pockets. Well, we certainly appreciate you coming on with us, and you have been a, a great guest. And uh, you can you can basically call back anytime you want to. So, uh, um, if you uh, Nate Ross, I think we're good. Thanks a lot, Tim. Yeah, Thank you did. very much, Mister Mister Donaghy. We appreciate it. No problems. Uh, please call me Tim, and you guys have my email and uh, hit me up anytime. I'd love to join you again. Great. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Take care, man. All right. Have a good night. All right. You too. Tim Donaghy. There he goes, Tim Donaghy. <laughs> Tim Donaghy. Not really, you know, uh, you know, he, he's not dodging questions. It's really interesting to, to hear him talk about it and talk about it so 
openly about Frank, kind of what we all frank. think yeah but kind of what we frank. all think and, and again i still think there could be that element of sour grapes right and but you know i think there's i think what he's saying is not is i don't think he's lying i think he's telling the truth but i don't know if it's as clear-cut as what he says the one thing i would say is if he has an insight into the nba games that is based on his knowledge of the referees yeah. and then they're on and you can look into that and get supposedly insider information right then he's going to have a little bit of a motivation to say it's still business as usual right yeah. because if it's not business as usual then then his site doesn't have as much weight so i do see a little bit of motivation there but then again i watch the games occasionally Occasionally. Occasionally, and I do, and I do see. What well, I, I, I how do you watch these games? I heard you don't have cable. Well, you know, I go to I go to the bar. <laughs> I, thought, the bar. I, thought, but I thought the hand check thing was interesting. That's like offensive holding on. That was on, fascinating. In, in NFL, that was that was fascinating. The way he was talking about the hand checking on stars, and how you're not allowed to do it. I mean, that actually, uh, if we're going to take anything away from this interview, at least in far my angle goes, that was the most fascinating thing he said about the hand checks. I still like the part too where he mentioned, you know, he he kind of corrected Ross and said, you know, I don't like to say games were fixed. I say there was an influence, an advantage given. And it's, you know, he even said teams can overcome that by playing superior basketball. The San Antonio Spurs, you know, overcame that as a smaller market team that perhaps, you know, the NBA wasn't thrilled with being on the NBA final stage. But, you know, that gives some hope to Nuggets fans, right? I mean, yeah, if they play what George Carl wants them to play, which is ultimate team basketball, then Hey, even Denver can win a title, right? Yeah, well, I, I think we all like to hope <laughs> the Spurs that can do it. We can do it. The Spurs can do well, it. Well, this is why I say people are are delusional when they're talking about style of business and all that stuff. It's not business and all that stuff. It's not not having guaranteed contracts that makes the NFL. It doesn't not all that stuff. What separates the NBA and why it makes it non competitive is the fact that very few stars make a difference. Couple with that how you have basically a star system that guarantees that the stars get exposed. That is what influence, that is the thing that makes small markets not competitive. And if you're, if you're going to go through that, all that, it's like, that's why all these small markets, they want the superstar. They want the superstar. That is why they, they, they emphasize that. And it's not, no, I can't, I want to be able to cut Eddie Curry. You know that has nothing to do with it. So uh, that that whole that whole thing is. I think the yeah, and the information that he has and the insight that he has from being an official, you know, for thirteen seasons and you know what went on, you know, detailed in in meetings with the league and you know what went on with him and players, him and coaches, home crowds. You know his book, the personal foul, first person account of the scandal that rocked the NBA. Almost a must read for NBA fans because you don't really ever hear about what happens with the officials. You know these are these, you know, besides, aside from Joey Crawford, Dick Bavetta. <laughs> You know, maybe but better. in any sport, you hear about the NBA officials the most. Yeah, you do. You, yeah, hear, you, about, do. you hear about them the most. Unless it's Ed Hockley. Yeah, and that was that was just a colossal blunder. <laughs> on his and you don't know too much about them, you know, and, uh, besides there are some animated antics on the court by Joey Crawford oh or something. God. But it's it's cool to hear Donicky. You know, he's got four daughters and he's you know busy with them. And you're like, oh yeah, he's also a dad. He's not just this you know robot official that's out there calling the games. You know, <laughs> it's it's cool. Well, and he, I think it's it'd be a, a great read. One fascinating thing about Donicky, Tim Donicky, is that he's very articulate about what he's saying about the NBA. And he comes from a position of the, the way he explains it 
you believe it because of just basically what he's saying you've kind of seen. He confirms what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's kind of like I've subtly seen that you couldn't hand check Dwayne Wade. I've subtly seen that. But now then you see it and then you're like, oh, wait, that makes sense, you know, regardless of whether you want to say that, you know, whether what he's saying is, as, as Ross was saying, the sour grapes angle or anything like that. There is some gravitas to what he's saying and it, and it, and it kind of comes through. And, uh, it's a fascinating interview. I, I, I really enjoyed that. I really did. Yeah, me too. I liked it. Like what he had to say and, uh, good to have him on. Thanks for getting that uh, set up there, Jeff. <laughs> Let's take a, a short one, come back. We'll talk a little Denver Nuggets basketball. Hey, we're back, and we're going to do Ross's favorite little new game, the headlines from the week. <laughs> it's Monday night. Time for headlines. Did we have music for headlines? No, we don't. We don't. We should we don't. We have music for trivia. Get some. This, is my, uh, this is my favorite. You're right, because not only do I present it, which is <laughs> nice for me, but also I think, <laughs> you know, this is what I do, TLDR, too long, didn't read, much like some of your articles on the Denver Stiffs. <laughs> Like mine today. <laughs> By the way, I did read the first couple paragraphs. Riveting. Got the I wanted to save it for tomorrow morning when, you know, I'm in the, in the bathroom, you know, but. Yeah, good. Uh, at any rate. <laughs> today, uh, the headlines are, are not as confusing as, uh, they usually are. I, I try to find ones that confuse me a little bit. Some of these have been straightforward, but here's the thing. I, I picked one and I picked a the theme and, and you know, this is the time of year when I start getting very, very excited about opening day baseball. That is, it's less than a month away. I think it's April 5th or 6th. It's a Friday. I have pre-called in sick for this day. Yeah. I'll be taking the day off. I'll be going downtown watching this game. I cannot wait. I love it. So, so here's some, here are some, uh, Rockies headlines here and, and God bless Troy Rank. He, he has to be, you know how they talk about drinking the Kool-Aid? He's drinking the Rockies jungle juice because he is hammered on the Kool-Aid. <laughs> he is nothing but positivity coming from him. Um, here's one. Here's a headline I read today. And by the way, these aren't from today. These are over the past month or so. Walt Weiss, sure to put his stamp on Colorado Rockies this year. Very interesting. There are going to be a lot of Walt Weiss stamps out there. Possibly <laughs> mushroom stamps. What are you, what are you, what are you saying? Possibly not. <laughs> mushroom stamps. <laughs> here's a little game we can play. I don't even look at it that way. And then you bring it up. Well, that here's, here's, here's a funny thing. Walt Weiss has been saying, you know, here's kind of, if you talk to people, how are the Rockies going to do this year? And people are saying, Oh, well, you know, Walt Weiss says they're going to hit a lot of home runs. So they're probably, they're going to be scoring a lot and they want to get back to this, you know, Blake Street bomber type mentality. And it's like, they're going to score a lot because Walt Weiss says they are. Like, who's going to hit? Who's, who's hitting for these guys? So, anyway. It's a really valid point. Like, that's the stamp he wants to put on the team. But yeah. What? Here's, here's one that does fall under the category of confusing. Uh, Rockies manager Walt Weiss has comrade in White Sox's Robin Ventura. I, I have no idea. Uh, Robin Ventura is the manager of the White Sox, yeah. and they're comrades, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, is this like a, 
a commie joke, like a like a is Robin Ventura hail from the former Soviet Union or the the is Russian he a, Republic? Is he a Russian spy? Yeah, you know, like this is kind of weird. He has a comrade. Oh, good for him. <laughs> has a comrade. I, I don't know comrade. what I don't know what the nature of their relationship is, other than possibly politically conspiring against our our government to convert it to maybe they're drinking uh, buddies, socialism or whatever. <laughs> Interesting one. Here, let's play a game. There was no trivia today, but I have a, I have a game to play. All right. right. The game is what year did this headline come from? 2013. <laughs> Don't answer yet. Okay. <laughs> Jeff, this is again from the Denver Post. I believe it's Troy Rank. Uh, Jeff Francis's 13 inning scoreless streak came to an end as Dodgers beat Rockies six to one. Is there any idea what year this could possibly have been from? Because. If you told me it was 2013, I would have told you you are out of your goddamn mind. It would have been 2007, you would have thought it was. Yeah. I was there. I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw Francis be, pitch. <laughs> there seems to be more than just Carlos Gonzalez wanting to turn back the clock to winning yeah. ways. By the way, now, what, the Denver when, Post editorial what, staff is trying to. At what point did Jeff Francis come back to the Rockies? Uh, I, th- and this is real. He is on the Rockies now. Too, too bad that he, this isn't being filmed because you should have seen Nate's eyes light up when you said that too. <laughs> yeah. like, I was there. I was there. Interesting was there. way, <laughs> interesting way to announce, uh, Jeff Francis. The answer to that was indeed 2013. That yeah. in fact was from did, March 10th, 2013. And he did pitch with the Rockies last season as well. Uh, yeah, some like halfway through the season, right? He came in. I was unaware of this. Um, probably chalked up a few L's. Yeah, I, yeah, great. Jeff Francis is back. That's good to know. Hey, that's great. There you go. Maybe we get Danny Nagel back. Jeffy Francis Dean. What is going on? Like now they're not even just pulling back Dante Bichette, Walt Weiss. Now they're bringing back old former failed pitchers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is, so they're going to bring back and uh, there's a chance Jamie Wright. <laughs> Yeah, Jamie Wright. He can still probably throw. He he can be our Jamie Moyer this year. <laughs> Actually, Jamie Wright, Jamie Wright was not a bad pitcher. Was there, I remember being very upset that they traded him, but whatever. And here's the last headline, Rockies-themed headline from this week. Yeah. Walt, Rockies coach Walt Weiss, first speech to his team will be brief. And this was from, as you can guess, several weeks ago before spring training. And, and I actually have a transcript of what his – first speech was this is a simple game you throw the ball you hit the ball you catch the ball and that's it nice speech Walt Weiss that was brief Sounds like uh, what a high school coach would tell his boys or (laughs) Regis what's that that one thing it's like we're going to run the ball we're going to pass the ball we're going to go down the field and we're going to (laughs) score I don't know what you're. It's from Rudy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna run. We're gonna run, run, run. We're gonna get. Yeah, that's Red's famous. That's it for headlines this week, guys. You know, I do, I do like go the, Rockies. Uh, and you know, we you can look here. You can see the the wall of shirts here in the CSG studios. There's Rocky shirts up there. We all know in in 2007 when they made that crazy uh, October run when they went to the World Series. This was a. I still a, like a, Matt Holiday. And by the way, yeah, me too. And by the way, Ryan Spielborg is reading. He's playing in Japan now. Yes, blogging in, in for the Rockies. Playing in Japan. Very cool. Uh, he, I saw a tweet from him that said very much, uh, Mr. Baseball, I think was the movie. Mm. But he said Tom it's seven. basically a, a true story. It's basically exactly accurately correct. Really? Yeah. I wonder if Except, he hangs out with Rauf because Rauf was over there playing hoops. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh think my he God. Is He's like 43 now or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan Spielborgs, miss you, buddy. 
we should come back. Why not? Why can't? Why if you if we have room for all these other guys, why can't we bring back Spielborgs? Must I don't know. He needs incriminating photos. Well, they brought him back as a blogger. Yeah, no, no, no. He's a blogger for the Denver Post, not for the Rockies. About just his experience over there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought I, he was running blogging for the Rockies. Yeah, I thought it was too, but I guess not. Denver Post blogger Ryan Spielborgs. Well, then so never maybe mind. when your guys' career, maybe when your guys' careers bloggers come to an end, you guys can go to Japan, go play uh, pro sports somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> well, you do. You know, if you if a former pro athlete can become a blogger, why so not the other way around? Was it yeah. like do the David Lee Roth route and just go? <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. I'm not familiar with that reference, but. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah, that was that was headlines. You are because you listen to cool old podcasts. <laughs> good, good old headlines. All right, guys, let's talk. Let's talk a little Nuggets hoops, huh? About it, Ross. Before we do go into that, are we ready? Really? Can we can we talk about the Broncos a little bit? You go Broncos first, okay? Yeah, I mean, just, let's, let's do Broncos first. It'll just take a minute here. Uh, there's all this talk about Elvis Dumerville going away. Not going to pay him. Uh, DJ Williams has been released. He gone. He's gone. Yeah, he was released. Um, Britton Cole quit. They're dancing with the devil here. There's some sort of right of first refusal out there, which means they're not paying him the big money, and other teams can come in and match it. I'm a little worried we're going to lose Britton Cole quit, but here's the big deal, I think. <laughs> Cole quit. <laughs> uh, here's the big deal. Uh, Broncos, uh, you know, haven't really signed anybody yet. Free agency started today, but they signed Louis Louis Vasquez from yes, the Chargers. From the Chargers yeah. He's an offensive lineman. Saying that he might be like a top thirteen or top uh, like fifteen or twenty player in the NFL. They said he was the thirteenth best offensive lineman. That's a yeah. big deal. That is a big deal, and I think he's like a right tackle. He's right a right guard, guard right and guard. they signed him away from the. Uh, San Diego Chargers and Chris Cooper's job may be in jeopardy now. Well, I think Chris Cooper's done. I think Is he's, he done? I think his career might be over. I mean, really? he just six games last year. He's been injured. He got injured in that horrific knee injury uh, the last season last year, right? He's had like three straight years of injuries. He's mm-hmm. he's rough. Yeah. What I was, player, yeah, what I was excited about was the notion that Manny Ramirez <laughs> would be gone. And I'm assuming he's gone now too, right? Yeah, he should be, I would think. Oh, God, that guy. <laughs> I think he probably draft somebody that might be on par with him or better. Oh, than right. uh, wasn't, didn't he go down for, wait, no, wait, that's the other Manny Ramirez. Never mind. <laughs> but I think, Different I think, guy. <laughs> I see where you're going at. My question is this. You know, like in the NFL, when you have to, when you're hiring a head coach that you have to interview a certain number of minority candidates, yeah. is there also a requirement on the NFL that you have to have a certain number of Hispanic offensive linemen? Because there could be, we got our quota now. Yeah, right. Mr. Vasquez signed you know, four out, years out with, out with Ramirez and with Vasquez. Yeah, there you go. Twenty five years this old. Is good. <laughs> I don't know if there's a Hispanic quota, but <laughs> well, it's called the. Israel they don't rule. call it a quota. Yeah. They don't call it a quota. But all I'm saying is, I'm excited. That's a great. I think that's a great pickup. And the other thing is we're uh, looking at it supposedly well, – Hold on, hold on. Vasquez signed a four-year, $23.5 million deal. 13 guaranteed. And Elway tweeted out, we've agreed to terms on a contract with Luis Vasquez. He's a big, powerful player who has a physical presence Meaty. to our O-line. The dude's badass. He, he's a not – he's an offensive lineman that's not fat. And this is a this he is looks a like big a defensive end. You know, okay. Big, so he's a big – So he's, he's – he's, is he a zone blocking guy? Or is he just a power line guy? No, I, I mean, I, why are you asking me that? 
<laughs> You're the one who wanted to talk Broncos. <laughs> All I'm saying is it's a big move. The other thing. Well, it's a huge move because this goes back to the years when the Broncos made those Super Bowl runs. They brought in Gary Zimmerman. They brought in uh, Tony Jones from the Ravens, you know, to replace Zimmerman. Mark the Broncos were bringing in, you know, Schlereth, yeah. all these the big name guys. The young, this is a young guy that's coming here that wants to come here because the Broncos are on the cusp of great things. I agree. And who's this now? Uh, is it uh, Mendenhall? Richard Mendenhall is coming. Mendenhall. He's now. supposed to come in tomorrow. Well, here's the thing. He's going to Arizona. First, then he's supposed to come to Denver. You could have seen him, Nate. By the way, the, the Cardinals stadium looks like a Chipotle burrito. That's what me and Adam Kinney from uh, Denver Sports Nation decided. Looks like a Chipotle with that, burrito. With that uh, retractable dome there. Which tin is foil, where most people from the University wrap. of Phoenix will end up working. Chipotle. <laughs> Correct. University of Phoenix Stadium, is that what it's called? That is it. That is it. Good school. Believe. Just kidding. I'm not. Send I, your I'm, I'm, send I'm your aware. send your hate mail to <laughs> But uh, no, uh, Mendenhall, right? Going to Arizona, then supposedly coming here. Yeah. Does that not sound a little bit familiar? It's about a year ago, number eight. Didn't didn't Peyton Manning go to Arizona and then come here? Didn't that Could happen? Be. I think so. Maybe. Is there any way they let Mendenhall out of the? Out of Phoenix County or wherever it is. <laughs> Don't mean, let him get further two north. Two years in a row. I think Mendenhall would be a great addition to this team. Don't you guys agree? No, I say pass on Mendenhall. Pass? Why is that? He's, oh, who do seems, you want? He seems injury prone. He's had shoulder problems. He's not a good pass blocker. Willis McGahee sounds kind of like he's, he had some injury problems, didn't he? He did. Well, and then he came through. Oh, who else would be on the market though? They're not going to go after Steven Jackson. Uh, there's been talk about Steven Jackson, but he's supposedly the Packers are close with him. There's been talk about about Reggie Bush coming in? No, they don't want Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, get out of here. I have no I have I don't want to see anything to do with Reggie Haven't Bush. Have you seen his fantasy numbers? <laughs> <laughs> How about uh Orlando Scary? <laughs> well, I mean they they gotta bring in somebody, right? I mean Mendenhall Who did I, I saw somebody on the other day like anybody know what the likelihood of getting Peyton Hillis back? <laughs> really, people loved like people loved him so much, they're still talking about him. Like the so half the season later. that he was good, can't we? Tatum Bell, I'm sure, is available selling cell phones. Yeah, you know, so Glenn you, Melbourne, Glenn Melbourne coming up with other obscure. Glenn Melbourne. Okay, so no from End Hall for you. I say that'd be fine. How about, I mean, he can't be that much. He can't be that expensive. How about how about Gaston Green? Gaston Green. If it, <laughs> compared to what else could be out there, yeah, maybe you bring in a guy like Mendenhall, and you know, you give him an incentive laced deal, and just see if he can if he can produce better than. I don't know if I like McGee. the word laced. <laughs> yeah, you got to lace that deal up, man. You know, and then finally, laced. It's like he's got a roofie in there. Supposedly, they're talking to one of the Cromartie cousins, the guy from. Uh, yeah, Antonio. Uh, Antonio uh, Rogers. Cromartie. No, Dominique Rogers Cromartie. Which would uh, right the the one who doesn't have twelve kids from eight women in six different states? It's the other cousin, the somewhat less talented, less fertile cousin, <laughs> less fertile. <laughs> uh, Rogers Cromartie, I'm pulling it up here at the Denver Post. Dominique inside on it or Antonio? I think it's Dominique. Cromartie. Ro- oh, Dominique okay. Rogers Cromartie. Dominique Rogers Cromartie. There you who go. Is most from the likely... Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, from the Eagles, yeah. Okay, so the other As one. cornerback, the guy. Okay, Antonio yeah. is from the, the Cardinals, right? 
No. Uh, well, Dominique played for the Cardinals. Dominique played for the Cardinals. Yes. I think. Yeah, I think Dominique went from Cardinals to the Eagles. Okay. To the Eagles. Got it. Got it. Right. He was a pro bowler. With the 31st pick in the 2012 <laughs> NFL draft. Autoplay. That's one of the problems with the Google, like Googling stuff when we're on the on the show. But anyway. I just want to hear Roger Goodell's voice. But this is all, this is all, <laughs> this is all small potatoes, guys. All this talk about Doomerville, Cromartie, this is all small potatoes compared to the big, big news. Bobby Humphrey. Peyton Manning no. will return. Oh, that's right. For two more years. Guaranteed. He passed his physical. He is now $40 million richer, which means his pizza franchises are coasting. He can, and uh, he is going to focus on throwing touchdowns next year. And we got a new offensive lineman to protect him. Big things next year. Big that'll things. mean that he has been guaranteed money. $59 million for three That's years. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of cheddar. And it's well-deserved. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, next year, Broncos, <clears throat> Niners, Super Bowl. I'll say it. I'll predict it again. Broncos, Niners, maybe even the Seahawks. I can see that because the, the Ravens are just like – their defense is like decimated right now. Well, and their they, defense, they just traded Anquan Bolden. What is the 49ers for a six-round pick? That. I do not understand that. Can anybody explain that to me? Is it because they paid Flacco so much money? Yes. That they have to, this reminded me of the Florida Marlins winning that World Series and then just selling off all their parts, you know, and it was crazy. Well, you know, Roy Lewis was always leaving, but Kruger's gone. Um, uh, Ellerby left today. Ed Reed's probably not going to be Ed back. Ed Reed is probably leaving. And then you got uh, them selling off uh, for nothing, by the way. Six-round pick. Six-round yes. pick for Anquan Bolton. To get in there and not make the team. And to the Niners. That to is the, the equivalent of – You can't of, beat them, join them, right? They're really – trying to weird. Get then, but how stoked are you if you're Anquan Bolton, oh, by well, the way? Well, yeah. Well, like, look <laughs> – yeah, I mean, a, San Francisco has got to be ten times better than Baltimore. But this is – that's the equivalent of, city. of Marcus Camby being traded to the uh, Clippers for a trade exception. I mean, that's what that basically that is. I mean, they just basically, we're going to just get back nothing because six rounds of picks rarely pan out to anything except that you're the Bronco running back. Terrell Davis. Yeah. You know, they, they, it's obviously. Although, uh, you know, what, what round of the draft was, um, Carl Mecklenburg drafted in? He was undrafted. No. It was like the 12th round. It was the 12th <laughs> round of the draft. It was, in, that's when the NFL draft had 12, 12 rounds. rounds. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just like back. Right. So that's it for Bronco talk, but it was important to bring that up because I'm getting excited here and I, I think about Elway running the show saying, you know what? If I'm, if I'm Peyton Manning, who do I want blocking for me? I want big Orlando Franklin and I want big Louis Vasquez. What are they going to do gonna with Clady? We're going to keep Clady. They franchise him. They franchise him. He hasn't signed it though. Yeah. Well, they can force his hand. I'm sure Elway's got his ways. You know. Well, that's but the it, thing. That's the thing, though. They, they they usually when they offer a, a franchise tag like that, they work something out. But it's been so antagonistic between Clady and the Broncos over this contract that I, I he rejected what was it a, a fifty million dollar contract? What was it last year? Yeah, it's like dude, you went I to don't school. See that Boise, as an, like I don't just, see that as antagonistic at all. No. I don't at all. Well, it's no. the business of it's, the NFL. It, hey, you know what? If you have a good season, a, a you know, maybe it's not great. You got to get that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you got to cut that him next in, year if he if he tears his knee up this season. The Broncos wouldn't hesitate to cut him. Get yep. the money. It's That's the very true. Thing you that do. is very true. In the NFL, get you got to money. You can't. 
you know, we've talked about this a lot, you know, between the NBA and the NFL about the contract situations. Ross is saying you got to get your money in the NFL, no matter what happens. Whatever, if you have to look like a jerk for three months, fine, but get your money, take care of yourself. I'm, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm convinced the non-guaranteed contracts contribute to the injuries, though, of the NFL because the players are so desperate and they have to always be out there proving themselves. And boy, that leads to people sparing people, like doing extra things to please the coaches and all that shit and stuff. Excuse me. And I, so I, it's the internet. Yeah, it's, it's the internet. So that, that is one reason I will, you know, you'll only see non-guaranteed contracts only in the NFL. And it's also because the NFL guys, what, three years, three and a half years. Yeah, that's true. Unless you're average, a quarterback. Right. Yeah. Oh, even the average quarterback, I'm sure it's somewhere around there. I mean, but absolutely, it's, but get the money while you're running can. backs. I think it's like three years, right? It's the average for. And I absolutely back. love the fact that the Broncos are, you know, not willing to just stand pat with the offensive line that they invested in. What I think is the most important unit on a football team. It's your offensive line, probably on defense, your defensive line, defensive and, line too. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried what they're going to do because they, let, I think they let Vickerson go or at least. No, nope, they just brought him back. They did. They oh, yep, just, just saw that on Mile High Report, best uh, Cleveland Broncos blog there is. <laughs> <laughs> They get all the scoops. Yeah, they do. <laughs> the, you should, uh, the pooper uh, scoops. Have you been, have <laughs> you, what I said? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was reading, what was it, uh, predominantly orange a couple days ago. Kim Constantinesco Field at Mile High? Yes. <laughs> That's what I call her. Yeah. I was reading that because uh, I refuse to read my live report anymore, but it's a long story. Oh, here goes Jeff, muckraking. <laughs> Fighting against his SB Nation brethren. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I love the fact the Broncos go out and get a guy, you know, they, they didn't want to put up with, is Chris Cooper going to stay healthy and cross their fingers and then have to rely on Manny Ramirez? They went out oh, and signed Manny a marquee Ramirez. guy. Here's my question. I think Manny Ramirez wore number 65. Yes. Yeah. I think Louis, Louis, I want to call him Louis, Louis. Louis, uh, Vasquez, Louis, Louis Vasquez, number 65. Yeah. Is there going to be some sort of Mexican standoff? Oh my God. Ooh. Yeah. Could be. For 65. I'm yeah. at 65. Adam Schefter did report that Kevin Vickerson, uh, re-signed in a two-year deal with Denver. So that big lug is back. And then there's a, there's another big dude coming in that used to play for Del Rio. Some 330-pounder nose tackle that's coming in. So mm. he'll be here for a visit. Fatty McGee. Yep, old Fatty McGee, old baldy butt. So he'll be in, uh, Broncos heading in a, in a good direction there. Uh, and that'll, uh, probably wrap us on Bronx, huh? Oof. Right. Sounds good. Maybe this time we come back and talk nuggets, huh? <laughs> and Nate's really what it Please, Sounds please good. nuggets. About time for me to go take a golden pee. <laughs> Ross's laxative. Nuggets talk. Ross is out. NBA talk is in. The Denver Nuggets, uh, hottest team in the Western Conference. Winners of nine straight. Woo-hoo. The only team uh, besting Denver right now is the Miami, Miami Heat. Heat. Winners of 18 straight. Uh, our friend, Denver Sports Nation host, Adam Kinney, asked George Carl if the Nuggets are perhaps chasing down the Heat with that streak. George Carl said, uh, well, that would be nice. It's not a goal of the team. They're not focused on Miami. But, but Jeff, but they are mentioned in the same sentence as a team like the Miami Heat because the forty-three and twenty-two Nuggets are tearing it up. And, um, um, they won in a very interesting way uh, Monday night against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, very odd performance. I, the only way I could describe it is, is Costa Kufas getting twenty-two points and ten rebounds and. 
Corey Brewer with 20 as well. Corey most, Brewer. Took the most shots, 6 of 16. This wasn't even a starter's bench thing like it was Seven, in the, in the uh, Thunder game. This was a – this was a – not players that you normally think score scoring game. I it, mean, it was a crazy one, and it, I, you know, I talked about it after the game in the recap on Denver Stiffs. You know, I said this had all the makings. You know, and even our, our readers pointed out had all the makings of a trap game. You know, you have yeah. the Carmelo Anthony's return coming up. Uh, yes, you know, two days after you have a huge game against the Memphis Grizzlies, who are you're battling with that to try to move up to the fourth seed, maybe even to the third seed. You have them coming in on Friday, and it was, you know, the Nuggets had just beaten a Timberwolves team that had, you know, embarrassed the Nuggets earlier in the season on their home floor. So this, Denver easily could have looked past the Suns. And maybe to a degree, you know, I don't want to say that they, they did necessarily, but like you said, they didn't, they didn't play a, a typical Nuggets game against them. You know, they... Hung around in the first half, and well, that was a, I. As of halftime, I knew the Nuggets were going to win. It was one of those games that you just like, yeah, the Nuggets are going to win this game. It would, Suns are putting up a little bit of a fight, a little and, bit, but it was nothing substantial. The Nuggets pretty much stayed ten points ahead through the rest of the game, and it wasn't exactly what you would call, you know, tense, <laughs> and you know. Seeing Ty go after Goran Dragic was uh, pretty amusing, but and that's kind of why I, th- I said too. You know, it was kind of one of the, a business like win for Denver. You know, yeah. they, they out they outscore them twenty seven twenty four in the third, get that lead going, and then in the fourth quarter they just kind of clamped it down. You know, outscored them twenty eight to nineteen, put them away, got that ninth win. Everybody post game was focusing and talking about the New York Knicks, the Nuggets players themselves. You know, Ty Lawson talked about it at length about. You know, Mello talked so much trash after that last game in, in New York last season. You know, the Nuggets are trying to get back some bragging rights, and that's basically all anybody wants to talk about now. It's going to be crazy. It's an 8.30 ESPN game. It's going to be on national stage, Nuggets-Knicks. It's going to be pretty intense. I didn't know Mello – did Mello talk crap? After the last game, like Ty said, uh, I don't know if he did it publicly, but he was like, you know, on the floor, he was he was giving it to us pretty good. Interesting. I did not know that. And as he's, you know, he said, it's all in good fun, you know, but it is exciting. It is a game we look forward to. You know, I've thought about this. You know, people complain about the NBA about, oh, these guys are all friends and there's no competitiveness and yada, yada, yada. I don't know about you guys, but when I play pickup ball against my buddies, there's nobody I want to beat more. I don't, strangers will get under your skin a little bit or guys you may not really know, but when I play against my friends, those are the games I really want to win. Yeah, I would agree. I would say of all the people in the world, the people I like the least are my friends. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I can't stand them. No. And, and you shouldn't. We should shut up for it's, once. Hi. This is, explains why Roz <laughs> screams at me when I call him. Here's the here's here, here's 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 story about this. This is a good story. Uh, 1990, let's say, 8, I think it was. Man- Manhattan, Kansas. We were in glass summer, at this point in time. Or summer, pre summer, summer basketball camp. Don't change the subject. This is at uh, Kansas State University, and at the end of the week long camp, there is a all the coaches vote in all star teams, and then those teams go out and they play against each other in front of the whole camp at the Manhattan, Kansas Stadium. Nice. And the uh, first part is they, they had us wear old Kansas State jerseys, uniforms. And this was in 1998, which means we're wearing jerseys from like 1984. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, they were minimum disgusting, right? <laughs> and obscene, washed, right? Yeah, say. obscene. So that was a little weird wearing these, you know, kind of the high revealing shorts. John anyway, Stockton esque shorts. We're out there playing the game, and every time I get the ball, this one section of the crowd just starts booing me. And then we go up to line up on the free throw <laughs> line, I and like this guy guys. on my team. On the all-star team is like, man, what'd you do? Did you piss off some other team during this week? Cause man, they're going after you. I go, Oh no, that's my team. Those are all my friends. <laughs> He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, no, they're, they're all from, yeah, they're, they're on my team. I've known them for all for 18 years. I played with them for eight. He's like, what? They're, they're your, like, and they're booing, they're booing you. Why, why would they boo you? If they're, like, yeah, it's, they're, they're crappy friends. <laughs> yeah, I like those guys. They hate your guts. <laughs> on the subject, they were just uh, jealous. On that, on that great subject of of booing, I'm I'm planning on uh, hopefully I get a piece out before this this game tomorrow uh, about about the subject of booing and you know should these ex Nuggets that are coming back be booed and uh, the headliner of course Carmelo Anthony. You know what I think would be great. I think it would be great if the fans somehow were able to uh, get on the same page. And all boo, boo one player who has no affiliation with the Nuggets. I think that would have a bigger effect on Carmelo Anthony and J.R. Smith and Kenyon Martin because I know those types of guys and they would, they probably relish being booed. They love it because that just means that they are as big as they think they are. So maybe they should go, maybe the Nuggets fans should boo. Jason a, Kidd? Jason Kidd would be great, right? Be just good. boo Jason Kidd every single time. And then when Carmelo Anthony gets the ball, Silence, literally, or just like, yeah, start texting, turn your back. Don't even show him like that would be the ultimate disrespect is to show him absolutely nothing. Because as, as of the last couple of months have gone, this team is better off than it was, has, was ever with Carmelo Anthony. As far as I see it, they're definitely a better team to watch as far as good guys that play hard. And we're better off now than we were two years ago with Carmelo, in my opinion. So I think that would be the greatest. Can you get that going? Can when you guys write an article about that? Yeah, I'll put that. I'll put your take in. Nate Which is the it? article writing dude. He's the article writing dude. I don't. I don't actually write. You just articles. write feature pieces. I write. I write the occasional feature piece. <laughs> Nate. Nate's the guy who does the heavy lifting. <laughs> but but, but would you guys right. agree? Like, yeah, Jeff. What's your take on that? Uh, I would. Uh, there's no way I would boo Carmelo Anthony, and I, I've said this over people. I people get on me all the time. Just, he turned his back on your town, Jeff. I just can't. I can't do it. He hates Thornton. I can't, he hates Thornton. Well, I do too. Um, <laughs> Man, he's kind of like a guy from the Springs. <laughs> no, I don't hate Thornton as much as I as I hate the Springs, but um, I just I can't boo someone who made the Nuggets relevant again. I I can't can't do it. I mean, the Nuggets. I mean, if you read the piece today, I wrote how bad the Nuggets were. I I just can't do it. It was the a Nuggets, piece. I'll give you it that. Was a it piece. was a piece. It's a piece that Ross read the first couple of paragraphs and decided to postpone it to a later date. <laughs> but I mean, was yes. it? Do you have it in audio form? Can I get the audio? I will. Version? I will read it for you later. You know, uh, was it Carmelo that turned it around? Was it was it Kiki Vandeweghe that turned it around by by making that huge trade to bring in uh, you know the guys to free up cap room to bring in you know Nene, Marcus Camby, Andre Miller, Carmelo, Vishon Leonard? I think it's overstating to say that Kiki. Did it by himself. I mean, there's a lot of revisionist history that's gone on since Melo's left. To be honest with you, without that marquee game name, none of that would have been possible. 
as we discussed with Tim Donaghy earlier, calls started going the Nuggets way. Things like that happened. It made the franchise relevant again. Did and, Carmelo ever get calls? I mean, I feel like that he you know, was I, the most disrespected superstar in the league. He was. If he was a superstar. But he got more calls than, say, Ty Lawson or Danilo Gallinari. Right. I mean, Gallo, uh, there was a couple games ago, Gallo was just getting pounded, absolutely pounded every time he went to the lane. Just mercilessly, just, and nothing was being called. And I forget which game. I think it was the, uh, the, the, um, Timberwolves game. And you can't give, you can't give Carmelo 30 free throws a game. I mean, he routinely shot double digit free throws every night. Yeah, every know? night. And, and, you know, you just, but I, I, I can't, I can't, Boo Mello. I what can't if, do it. What if Carmelo would have played harder in his time in Denver? You know, we harp on him for not trying on defense, for not sharing the ball perhaps when he should have, for, you know, for his flaws in Denver. Isn't that a right to boo him? He didn't lure the big name free agents here when, the, when he could have. Did, could he have lobbied more to bring a better team into Denver? Could he have no. done more? No. Why can't you just boo Mello because he's on the Knicks and he's in Denver playing against the Nuggets? I don't boo opposing team, team. I don't, I don't do that because I just don't. I, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm still surprised people boo Kobe, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, he, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. I, 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 I'm not surprised. You know, I think, I think, you know, I, and I was talking to some people about this as well. And this is Mel's first game back in Denver. It's his first. You know, he wasn't here last season, the lockout we talked about, cut that short. It's his first trip back in Denver. It's the first time for fans to, to have a, a live reaction with him. And I think the fans should boo him. I think they should too. I mean. He wanted out of here. You, you, my, here's the thing. What type of uh, fan base do we want in, in Denver? And I'm not talking about the fan base as an, as a whole, but as far as in the stadium, there's no question they have influence on the game. You know, there's a reason why there are certain places that are harder to play than other places. Okay. Duke always has some of the best, uh, players, right? But they also have the hardest place to play in the world because it's intimidating. Cameron crazies, right? Nuggets games, right? Or, you know, they in hist- have historically had some very raucous crowds that not just, not, this not just affect the other team, but also can really build the confidence of the hometown team. Now, it's my opinion that it's not the fans in the stadium's responsibility to raise the level of play of the players. I think it's the players' responsibility to raise, raise the energy in the stadium. But the fans are doing that. Why not boo? Why the, not boo, Mello? And the players know what's on the line for this game. They know how the city feels. There's guys like Lawson who I think – you know, he may never admit to it himself, but I think he feels a little bit of that of, hey, Carmelo didn't want to play with me. He wanted to go somewhere else because he didn't think I was good enough. Well, and I know above all the another, another Nuggets players, I know the one player on the Nuggets team who feels it the most is Danilo Gallinari because he's the guy that's playing Carmelo's position. And I know he gets up for the New York games. He was on with Scott uh, Hastings and uh, Drew Goodman today. And, you know, even though he was kind of demure about it, you could tell that it was just like, yeah, I get up for this game. I will. I mean, the Nuggets are treating it like it's any other game. But come on. Uh, yeah, I mean, even yeah, last night can, with George, George, you can he, he would he knows it's not any other game. Yeah. He's he's talked about it. You know, he's he's even said and I think I, I agree with him wholeheartedly on this. He said, you know, let. 
well, I guess he said, he said, let it be a celebration of Melo coming back. And then during the game, let's get on it, you know, and whatever. And I guess I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. I think that it should be I totally discontracted my own self. <laughs> Will there be a tribute to Melo as they did to Nene? No, I th- here's, here's how it should go. I think this first game should be theater. Give me all the theater of it. Give me everyone booing him. Let him know that we weren't happy that he didn't think he could win a title here, that he didn't think – you know, that management wasn't trying hard enough around him, whatever the case was, he wanted out. Let him know that we aren't happy with that. Boo him unmercifully every time he touches the ball. Boo him. And next season when he comes back, maybe give him a tribute video, maybe treat that like any other game. But this time, this one game, I think fans should let him have it. And I think that there's no way the Nuggets lose tomorrow. I think it's a perfectly set up game. I think the Nuggets are playing for a little bit of pride tomorrow night it's ironic that tomorrow night of all games is probably the one they could afford to lose the most you know just because it's an eastern 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 conference nine games in a row they're gonna lose eventually it's almost like hey you know lose that one before memphis comes in or whatever but the, the big difference i think is carmelo anthony when he was a nugget he never had to have a successful season in order to be worth a lot of money elsewhere Right, he was always a high-valued player, whether he was the best player in the league or the seventh or eighth, which at times he was. Right, the players on the Nuggets teams they need to prove something in order to raise their value on this team or elsewhere. And so, from that motivational standpoint, I see the Nuggets are going to look at this game and say, "You know what, Melo, you were spoiled, and we have to work hard. You have natural talent." But you don't work hard. You couldn't care less. You're, you know, he's just a spoiled brat. You know, and so I see with the way the Nuggets are playing lately. Ty Lawson, remember talking three, four months ago about yeah. who's going to be the leader and who's going to be the superstar. And I think it's pretty clear it's Ty Lawson as the leader, and he's looking more like a, a, a superstar, like a real superstar now. And so. Yeah. He dunked it last night, by the way. Too. Yeah, he did dunk. <laughs> Two-handed jam. Two-handed dunk. I think the other guy that uh, I'd, I'd like to really focus on this booing aspect for a minute. <laughs> I think the other guy that should be booed unmercifully is J.R. Smith. Uh, I, one guy I probably won't boo is uh, is Kenny Martin. I mean, like, I, I can't boo K-Mart. Kenny. I love Kmart. Uh, but J.R. Smith. Say, Kmart say, is the most misunderstood nugget I, I, in the history. I used to say to my friends when Kenny Martin came to our team, I go, Kenny Martin just makes me feel safe. When he's on a, that's because he's on my team and I don't have to worry about him murdering me in my sleep. Yeah. But I mean with JR, I mean JR was a guy that this season admitted in an interview that he did things to intentionally sabotage the team. He was jacking up shots specifically that he knew George Carl didn't want him taking because him and Carl didn't have a good relationship. So if you if you really want to boo anybody, it should be J.R. Smith because he's the guy that was fully admitting to sabotaging his time here in Denver. Yeah, these, he and Carl he never and, yeah, got along. That was that was doomed relationship from the beginning. Work and Dean should have never brought J.R. Smith in because that was never going to work. Who could J.R. Smith ever get along with? No, was, that was. Is anybody going to ever tell J.R. Smith? Work is to just do? tantalized by talent. Right? He is. He likes. He likes the bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does. He loves me. But, but, you know, Kmart, I can't boo, be mostly because I like Kmart. I've got to talk to him numerous times. Always perfectly nice man, at least to me. Not in a media situation, you know. Just and out of the club. <laughs> bottle full of bub. <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, but but Jr. I can see it, and and Jr. was so popular at the Pepsi Center. I think people don't realize the home crowd at Pepsi Center. That Jr. would go and do a shake or high five every fan along the baseline. He'd go around and he would do it all with all the media too. He did that every single home game, and people loved him for that because the Jr. would always get loved by the the home crowd. At Pepsi Center, and then he made some comments that weren't exactly glowing about Nuggets, uh, not about Denver, essentially, earlier this year. And it's like, you know what, dude? These people loved you, absolutely. He's got some, yeah, and they were. He's foolish. got some was... very loyal defenders, as as Nate knows. He's got some very loyal defenders, and you know what? He just basically said, "Screw you." So you know what? At that point. Yeah, Jr. is the one you want to you want to boo, as and, far as I'm concerned. And absolutely, but I put him, he, and uh, Carmelo Anthony in the same boat, in the same category of when they want to, they are brilliant players, exceptional players. Jr. Smith was considered streaky, right? Yeah, streaky is reserved for those players who don't always have it, right? They don't always have the shot. That was not Jr. Smith. Yeah. Jr. Smith decided when he was going to play hard and he decided when he wasn't and if he wanted to take some grudge between uh george carl and himself onto the court he would do that we all saw that we all saw that all the time yeah he wasn't he was i mean he has all the talent again but he decided when he wanted to play he has no and 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 i firmly believe that guys like him and carmelo anthony they have no motivation to excel beyond where they're at i mean they've already made it they're already millionaires they're already set for life if they're smart. They don't have any reason to do anything other than just go play basketball a few days a week and then hang out on Twitter and, uh, you know, mm. pick up chicks or whatever. And post pictures know. of someone's ass on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, uh, go, ahead. go ahead, Nick. I was just, just going to change the subject, so go ahead. No, I was – So the answer is boom, both. But, you know, it's, yes. it, it's funny. I know it was when J.R. Smith first came to town. Was it 2006? Something like that, yeah. I remember his seeing him play, and I, my thought was, and I, I hated, I hated thinking this, but my first thought was, he is a more talented version of Vachon Leonard. <laughs> and yeah, Vachon Leonard, a profound thought you had. <laughs> Vachon Leonard was the streakiest shooter in the world. He would have these games where he would hit like eight three pointers in a row, and he was like, man, this man has a lot of talent. And then he would just like miss every shot that he took, but he would still take them. And it's, then it's it was common. just like it was just like, and then I would saw Jr. and I'm like, this guy has no conscience whatsoever. He will shoot it. He doesn't care what you think. He will shoot the ball. And I, that was my first thought when I was when Jr. Smith came to town. It turned out to be right. You know, and people always, uh, people now are saying this season, you know, oh, he's doing so great. He's won those games for us. And I keep pointing back to his stats. I'm like, look at his stats. He's shooting, you know, 15.2 shots per game. He's shooting, you know, a career low. Uh, besides, I guess, his rookie year. So his rookie year, he shot 39%. This year, he's shooting 40% from the field. 40%? Yeah. That's atrocious. That's terrible. I think league league average is like, like got to be 45%. Yeah, that's a terrible percentage. So, I mean, he's not he's not having a great season. Uh, the Knicks have been struggling. They they got their uh, butts handed to him last night by Golden State. Well, and like, Melo is very injured. And, and they showed his knee, and it's like the size of a volleyball. I mean, like the guy's... Very injured right now, so 
if the Nuggets win, it will not be surprising in the slightest. Well, they they should win, right? Yeah. Little, Jeremy, little, it's a, all theater aside, they should win this game. Yeah. They should win this game, and you know, even a, even in New York, they should win that game, right? Yeah, yeah. Either I mean, either venue. The well, team, yeah, and Stoudemire team, is out again. The Nuggets are are better. Yeah. They're a better point, team yeah. than the Knicks. And they, you know, the records, you know, the Knicks are 38 and 23, Denver's 43 and 22. So, I mean, Denver, you know, a better team, you know, obviously. But, you know, like Jeff said with Carmelo, I, I loved when Carmelo Anthony was here. I appreciated him as a player. You know, I liked, I rooted for the Nuggets. I started blogging for the Nuggets when Carmelo was here. Um, you know, liked what he did, but. He's gone. One of the things, Whatever. Jeff, you said in your article, I, I know this because it was in the first paragraph. You said, <laughs> you said there's a big difference between Nuggets fans who know about the olden days because so many Nuggets fans were drawn to the Nuggets because of Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo. And I'm almost like the opposite. I almost like stopped watching after the first couple seasons of Melo because it's like, it was like, oh, so much promise. I mean, that team. We've talked about it a million times. Just wanted to say that. The two that I've never seen. I just really a wanted to get town. to dig in about only reading your first paragraph. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I I've never seen a town as energized, even including. I mean, I'm speaking selfishly here, including the the Rockies World Series trip. I've never seen a town as energized as I did when the Nuggets went to the Western Conference Finals that year. As it, it was the most energy I felt since the Broncos won the Super Bowls. In this town, it was just everyone was so happy, you know, especially when it's long suffering Nuggets fans. And let's, let's, let's say it as it is. We are long suffering Nuggets fans and long insufferable Nuggets fans. <laughs> that too. <laughs> and, and, and that was great. And then it just was gone. It was just gone. Well, now it's back, just, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and back. now it's back. Yeah. And, then, and it's and, and, goddamn better. You know, I think Ross was on to something there too. I mean, I think a, a lot of the younger fans were drawn to the Nuggets because of the success Carmelo had at Syracuse because of the name he had before he came here and his ex- early success in Denver. But I think there's also a lot of fans that saw Carmelo play and did not like what they saw because he doesn't play the kind of basketball that this Nuggets team plays. He doesn't play team basketball. He doesn't play defense. He's not playing, you know, this exciting brand of winning basketball. He's winning games in New York, but I think Knicks fans know, they know that they're not going anywhere with this yeah, guy. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, it's Tuesday night in, you know, Madison Square Garden. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Is there any is Spike Lee here? No. All right. Screw it. I'm not gonna play hard. But these Nuggets guys are playing hard. They played hard in Phoenix last night, man. And Phoenix is a place the Nuggets haven't been that great. It's always been kind of a tough place for them to go. Phoenix isn't that great of a team this year, right? No, terrible. I mean, in fact, this is, they have a Nuggets esque '90s Nuggets esque 22 and 42. Right? Yeah, this is like yeah. the opposite of a marquee <laughs> game, right? On the road in Phoenix, uh-huh. but it's a game they had to win to. You know, that they had to just get, right? And to set up this game perfectly, you know, George Carl never had the 10 game win streak in Denver. He's got a chance to do that. He's never won Carmelo. 10 in a row? Not in Denver. Never in Denver. So he's got, you know, got the chance to do it against Mello, and I'm sure he'd, he'd relish in that, you know. Hell so, yeah, he would. People always say that doesn't matter. That matters. Yeah. It does, and those streaks matter too. You don't you don't see double digit win streaks by a lot of teams. I mean, Charlotte right now is on a 10 game losing streak. You see that, but. You know, other than the Nuggets right now at nine in a row, like we said, Miami's at eighteen. Nobody else is even, you know, above above four wins right yeah. now in a row. So yeah. it just it doesn't happen. I guess that it's often. that. I guess it's pretty rare, but 
You think you'd get one 10 win winning, you know. Well, the Nuggets have a nine-game game winning, two nine-game winning streaks this year. Well, tomorrow know? night, let's make it 10. And you a six-game game? winning streak. You'll get, you, Nate, you'll be there. I'll be down there, yeah. That's right. Kind of waiting to see what kind of a circus it's going to be with uh, media, you know. <laughs> How many guys from New York are going to be out here? It's Like today we saw with Dwight Howard going back to Orlando, and it was – you know, uh, Alex uh, Kennedy from Hoops World was tweeting out questions that people were asking Magic players about Dwight Howard. You know, like that's a little different, right? I mean, just because of the time difference, and yeah, I mean, but tomorrow is going to be the focus, and also it's the Lakers going to Orlando. The Lakers, yeah, but I think that right. you're going to see it. Sports Center is going to talk about it. I think you'll see it on Around the Horn. Pardon the interruption. Of course, it is. The Knicks are involved. They'll, the they'll Knicks, talk about the it. Nuggets. You know, Knicks, Carmelo coming to Denver. It's yeah, that's. Probably the more of the poll than Denver. <laughs> well, is it like if you if you go think back to the beginning of the show, me seeing talking about those pictures that Benjamin Hoffman was tweeting out with Mello, and it was like he's really gone, and it was just that you know, that moment. <laughs> it was just that moment where you're like, oh man, I used to see that all the time. You know, I used to see pictures of Mello standing on the practice court, where Nate has been all year, talking to the reporters, and. You see it all the time, and then you see it, and you're like, "Oh, dawns on you. Wait, he's for the playing for the Knicks now." And it's, it was surreal. It was just surreal. And and that's that's my blows, feeling. I mean, that blows my mind. I've had that when I've watched a few Knicks games. It's been two this year. years. It's been two years. And I've had that with yeah, the but Knicks. They, we haven't. He hasn't been back here, man. It's it's just it's different. Yeah, you haven't <laughs> gotten that that different. closure. But I I've had that with the Knicks this year. You know, I've seen Carmelo. You haven't you haven't had, fans haven't had the closure <laughs> of that relationship. That's what everybody compares it to. You know, the, the ex girlfriend that scorned you and came back. Everybody, that's what everybody compares to. I eat. DenverStiffs.com forum players or yeah. commenters. Yeah. Hey, people pay attention to that. I was, <laughs> I was talking with uh, with Chris Marlowe last night at the game about how he reads, you know, reading the comment section of Denver Stiffs. <laughs> reading, you know, Sandy Clough has mentioned reading, you know, to get the pace of the team. That's a it's a good place to go to see how fans are feeling. But you know, with with this old game, it's it, it's it's big and it's it was weird. My biggest mellow moment where. My strangest Carmelo moment was uh, the off season when he shaved off his uh, his cornrows when he shaved. Oh his head. yeah, I remember that. And he yeah. came out with the business haircut, and it was this: I'm all business now. I want to be more professional. I want to walk into meetings and be respected, and not be you know looked at like I'm this you know crazy kid with the cornrows or whatever. But and the truth of was, it was is his wife made him do it. It was supposedly, remember there's that YouTube video? She's like, Jay-Z he, doesn't have cornrows. <laughs> there's like a, a YouTube video where he played his buddy in a basketball video game, right? And yeah. he lost, and the bet was he shaved he his head if he snitching. lost. Oh. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. Well, he came in. That was the Western Conference Finals here. That was when he shaved his head. Because remember the offseason, he had the DUI. Or the the playoffs, excuse me, again, the against the uh, Lakers. Yeah. So, well, I'm excited. This has yep. got to be exciting for you guys. I mean, I'm it's not nice. feeling a lot of energy from you guys because well, I feel like you guys feeling... are keeping it evenly keeled. Well, I'm a I'm a very even keel guy, but he's tired because he's jet lagged. Well, I'd rather see. I, I'm, <laughs> I'd like to see the win here. I want the win. We like, slept till three today. Yeah, you know, like Jeff said, Mello with the swollen knee. J.R. Smith may or may not play because he got the flagrant two against Golden State and got ejected. He might get suspended. I don't know if that's been announced or not. I but... don't think he'll be suspended. That was a week. Call. That was very weak. So. Okay, weak call. So hopefully he'll be there. But you know the Knicks got beat ninety to sixty the night before. So is it that big of a win? They're not that great of a team. More important game is Friday against the Grizzlies. But yeah, don't fool yourselves. I want to see a win. Yeah, not to mention Jr. and Mello are going to be down here on Broadsterdam, just for 
just getting <laughs> getting their uh, getting medical marijuana card on. <laughs> yeah. Like, is that law been passed yet? Is it legal now, right? Right. Mar- medical marijuana. It's, yeah, it's been around for a few years. No, no, you can. Yeah, no, it's the, the 64. Man, no, 64. Not, yeah, it's not, 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 not through yet. No. Ah, read a paper. That's for them, huh? <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've read some stuff on it one time. So, <laughs> so next week. <laughs> Nate's not informed if it's not the We're negative. wrapping this up. <laughs> yeah, let's wrap it. Yeah. But next week, is it next week? Stiff's Night Out. Stiff's Night Out. Jake's Fine Food and Spirits at... Uh, in 38th Rhino. and Walnut in Rhino and Walnut. Art District. Oh, and it's Nate Timmons' birthday party. Nate Timmons' birthday party. Andre Miller's be... birthday party. Andre Miller's birthday party? 37, baby. He's just like, no cake. No cake, guys. Stop it. <laughs> get off my lawn. You know, actually, you I can't believe, I, can't, I cannot I believe. I trying to get on that thing. Wait, I can't believe that Andre Miller's only two years older than me. I'll be 35 this year. <laughs> Should That's we stop depressing. making Andre Miller as old jokes? That is really depressing. <laughs> well, you just turned, what, 32, 31, 38 something? I don't All know right. how old you are. I actually saw Andre doing a little – he was horsing around a little bit yesterday at shoot-around. He was following uh, uh, Jim Welsh. God, Jim Welsh, right? John Welsh. John yeah. Welsh. He's following John Welsh around and like making faces at him and trying to get like Jordan Hamilton who was sitting uh, in the first row there to smile a little bit. It was kind of funny. I was like, I've never seen Andre Miller goofing around before. It's probably because he's feeling a little nostalgic about 30, 37. <laughs> you know? China no, is, he's just happy youthful. because it's Nate Timmons' birthday party coming up. Yeah. And he and knows Jake's he's got food and spirits. Yeah. We're going to be podcasting there. Well, and we, you know, he's going to have a, that? he's going to have a big night because it's both of your birthdays and they know that you never get a Nuggets win on your birthday. So team is either 0 and 8 or 0 and 9, uh, since 82. The Colorado sports guys are going to be down there podcasting. Yes. We're going to be having some giveaways on the podcast for some Nuggets fans. We'll have you guys on, play a little trivia, give away a little something, something. So come down to Jake's 38th and Walnut. Yeah. And, and if uh, you guys want to maybe come on the show, Hey, we'll, we'll give you some mic time. That's Just what tweet, we're saying. That's what we're going to do, man. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, we, we won't be too mean. We'll do a little trivia with the fans. We'll give them yeah. a little something on the podcast specifically and we may for have the some CSG. Special guests on too. So, yeah, lining up some peeps. But I just uh, realized we're not going to have enough mics for five people. Hey, I'll give up mine for the fans. <laughs> for the fans, that's how much I love them. No, I'll do that. This we'll is see. a Nuggets night. We'll I'll, see I'll, what I'll, I'll just stand aside and smoke my cigars. American spirits. <laughs> I'll run security. <laughs> run security. All right, man. That, that'll do it. Uh, CSG 98 in the books. We'll see you guys at Jake's for show 99. We'll see you guys next week. Ba-da-da-da-da-da-da.